Thank you, Nikki McKenzie. How's everybody doing tonight? And this morning, to people who are joining online tomorrow, when I put these on, my glasses fog up, and it's like the blast shields go down, and I'm just, I can't see you, but I believe you're there. Um, well, Happy New Year, Risen Hope. It's weird writing numbers 2021 on anything. I don't know if you've done that yet. It just feels strange, um, even though we had a full year of 2020. Uh, let me pray real quick and ask God for help as we open his word tonight. Father God, let those words from that song be true. Jesus, the anthem of our hearts. Jesus, the anchor of our souls. The life of a Christian in Jesus Christ. I pray that that reality would be so fundamental to us as we dive into this new series, Father God, about knowing you, treasuring you, seeking you, setting our lives around the reality of who you are, I pray that you would grant me grace as I look at your word to understand what's there and to be able to faithfully communicate it, Father. Remove error from my mouth, and I pray that you would invite all of us, myself included, to feeling the grandeur of your glory your power, your sovereignty, your grace, your love, your compassion, and your desire to bring your children home. Help us feel that reality tonight and tomorrow in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. That is Hosea 6, verses 1 through 3. And if you have your Bible, I hope that you do, uh, grab it and turn to Hosea 6, 1, 3. And this is where we're going to be in tonight. As uh, we came to the, the end of last year, um, this passage in particular was impressed upon me by God. Uh, we, we could have continued and gone back to the book of John, and we will, God willing, do that. Um, it's been a blessing to go through that gospel with you. But it felt really clear to me that this is where we needed to be coming into 2021. The book of Hosea is uh, the first of the minor prophets. So if you're looking for it in your Bible right now, it's at the beginning of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. He was a contemporary of Isaiah, who, uh, if you recall, just in December, we spent an entire month with Isaiah and Isaiah 9. And so he was present around the time of Israel's exile. Hosea, uh, you may well remember, very unique prophet, somewhat different role than the other prophets around his time. Um, God called him to marry a prostitute named Gomer, a woman who God knew would be unfaithful to Hosea. And the reason God called him to do this was so that Hosea would know what it felt like for God, for his people people that he loved 
to be unfaithful to him. He didn't want Hosea's experience of the unfaithfulness of Israel to be merely intellectual. He wanted him to feel it. He wanted him to know it intimately, what it felt like to have the one you love betray you for other lovers. And this is precisely what happened in Israel. Um, Hosea lived in, in the northern kingdom, which is the northern part of Israel at the time. Uh, and he lived during a season of prosperity for the people of Israel uh, underneath the king uh, Jeroboam II. Um, underneath that king's provision, God had, through him, lovingly and graciously blessed his people. Israel had been lulled into a sense of believing that their provision, that their protection, that all the prosperity that they had did not come from Yahweh, their God, but in fact came from their own doing. And this ultimately led to sin. They committed idolatry by serving and worshiping other gods than Yahweh. And when we see idolatry expressed throughout the Old Testament, it's always compared to what's referred to as spiritual adultery. They had Israel betrayed their true husband, God, their maker, the one who loved them and treated them like his bride. And this was the context that Hosea lived in. This was the, 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 the realm that he dwelt in, in the middle of the spiritual adultery and what was impending destruction, impending captivity that would eventually collide like a hurricane with the people of Israel. And this collision would be primarily represented by the Assyrian Empire coming in, invading Israel, decimating the people, laying them low, and then hauling off whoever remained to be forever captive, to be exiled. And the passage I just read for you, Hosea 6, 1 through 3, is one of many prophecies that Hosea speaks to the people, pleading with them, Turn back to God in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your rebellion, in the midst of the hardships that you are starting to see in your own lives. Turn back to God. This was Hosea's message. And one reason I felt drawn to this particular passage uh, is obviously because of this season we just went through and continue to go through until things are properly normal. I know we've changed the year, but until things go back to the way that they were, this year has been the last year for us, tough and difficult and challenging in so many different ways. But before I even saw the context, which we'll look at closer in just a few moments, of this passage, before I saw that, God really put this on my heart as, as the need for our church to pursue him like this, to pursue knowing him like this at the very beginning of this year as not only the first thing that we need to do, but the most important, important thing that we could possibly do. And so I really feel like we, we must begin this year, like as a church, and I think just as believers, humbling ourselves and our hearts before God and seeking him, desiring him, longing for him, and, and allow all of whatever last year was for us, individually, corporately, whatever that meant for us, to force us deeper into his loving embrace. I was talking about this with Abner and Laura earlier uh, before service. That's what I, I pray that this year would do, and, and, and I, I feel like this passage helps us to do that. There is simply no greater thing for our hearts to be set on than this, than the pursuit of knowing our God and our King. 
It is our greatest need, which is why Hosea is constrained to tell us this. Before we dive into Hosea 6, what I want to do, though, is ask a question. What does it mean to know the Lord? What does it mean to know God? When we hear Hosea read, let us know. Let us press on to know. What is he saying? What does that mean? Well, Acts 17 paints us a picture. Um, And so you don't need to turn there. If you want to, you can. But Acts 17, in that that, uh, passage, in that chapter, Paul is in the city of Athens. And he has an opportunity to preach the gospel to the people of of Athens at the Areopagus, which was the center, the hub of philosophical conversation in that city, and really the world. And when he presents the gospel, he does it very interestingly. He focuses on something that they refer to as the unknown God, the unknown God. In their city, they, they had erected the Greeks an image of a God. They were like, we don't know who this is, but we're pretty sure that he exists and we need to worship him. And they didn't know him. And Paul saw that when he was walking through the cities and says, I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to lean into that because you're right. There is a God you don't know. And let me tell you about him. And so in verse 23 of Acts 17, he begins, listen to what he says here. What therefore you worship as unknown This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should, listen to this, seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That's how Paul begins. That's how Paul begins to engage the people of Athens. Even before he gets to the gospel, he says, you need to first know this, there is a God and he created all things. He is Lord over all things and he has specifically designed humanity, mankind to know him. This is the real God. The real God should not be unknown. He should be known. He made them, verse 27, that they should seek him and perhaps feel their way toward him. And it says, find him. That is why God created humanity. All the nations in the world exist for this purpose, to know the living God. We can tell by the language he uses, this isn't just about knowing facts about God. This isn't just an intellectual exercise. This goes beyond the intellect to something that is relational, something that is is built in our hearts. This seeking of God involves feeling our way to him, finding him. It's more than a, a rational understanding of facts about God because, I mean, quite simply, the devil knows facts about God. In fact, the devil knows a lot more facts about God than we do. And he hates all of them. The kind of knowing God created his image bearers to have is a relational, experiential love. It it is not just raw knowledge. It is the deepest kind of knowing you can conceive of. 
where we come to love, cherish, adore the one that we know. And that is why we were created. We were created for that purpose. So with that in mind, let us go back to Hosea 6. Hosea begins with one word that helps us understand what he's going after. He starts with the word come, come. He is inviting the people of Israel and he's inviting us to return to God. And let me just say at the start, it doesn't matter where you are right now. It doesn't matter if in your heart you've been walking with him all year and you feel good about your relationship with God. It doesn't matter if you are a million miles away and you feel like he could never see you. The message is always the same. Come, come. Whether last season was a season of of suffering and sorrow where you felt distant from God or whether last season was a season where you felt uh, you were blessed and you had opportunities to enjoy him in ways that you ne- didn't otherwise. We are all called to return to him. There is no scenario. There's no scenario that's conceivable where, where we are, where, where the pursuit of the presence of and the knowledge of God is wrong. There's never a situation in which that's the case. But then Hosea doesn't leave us there with just the word, come, let us return to the Lord. He specifically says why the people of Israel should come to the Lord. Hosea grounds his, the return of the people of Israel, our return to God with the word for. If you look at that in the text, it's there, the word for. He is showing why it is that Israel and that we should pursue God. What's the reason? What's the driving force behind the return of of God's people to him. He says, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. So this is the reason for Hosea calling the people back to God. For he has torn us. And this Resurface is hopefully a principle that, that you've seen over and over in the scriptures. We, we spent an entire, I think, month or two in the book of Ruth last year or the year before. I can't remember. <laughs> I should be able to remember, but uh, two years ago, I think. And, and it's this same principle that we see all the time, which is that God is sovereignly governing all things in the universe, everything in the universe, including the worst things. Whether our suffering is is punitive in this life, whether it's in response to something sinful we've done, or whether it is simply part of the broken, fallen nature of the world, all of it is under his sovereign governance. It's under the sovereign governing of the living God. And we see that clearly right here. God is the one, Hosea says, who has torn them. God is the one who has struck them down. And I think at first blush, this is uncomfortable for us. The normal response is, this doesn't make sense. And it doesn't feel like it matches with our theology. But the problem that we come to is that it's all over the scriptures. Psalm 115, Daniel 4, Isaiah 43, they all show us that God does whatever he pleases and nothing in the universe, nothing in the universe is capable of stopping him or staying his hand. It communicates the reality that God is sovereign. 
He's not chasing ambulances. He's not trying to figure out what's going to happen next. Events don't happen, and he has to respond to them. He is governing all things, and that includes hardships and tragedies in his people's lives. The Bible and Hosea right here makes it really clear. God has torn us. And I think when we first hear this, at first blush, this is not comforting news. It feels wrong. To hear that God is the one who's torn us isn't pleasant at first. But what I want you to do is this, press beyond the emotional reaction to that to think about what it actually means. If you do that, you will find out that this is the best news in the world. If our tragedies were the random events outside of the control of God, not only would they cease to have any meaning in our lives, but it would tell us that we are alone. If God can't stop evil from colliding into the lives of his people, what comfort should I take from that? Not only does it make all my suffering in my life meaningless, but it means that God couldn't stop it even if he wanted to. And that's plainly not the God of the Bible. In the scriptures, it's clearly God who has purposed that even the evil in this world, even the suffering in this world that we experience is governed by his loving and gracious, gracious providence, that he is working in, in both the evil in the world and the good in the world to bring about joy in the hearts of his people. So here's the deal. Your suffering is never in vain. It isn't ever outside of God's control and it isn't ever meaningless. There is a reason for our tears. There is a reason for our heartache. And that reason is infinitely more important and infinitely more precious than anything we have in this life, anything we could have in this life. God's sovereignty in the middle of our suffering means that there is a divine purpose underneath all of the tearing, all of the striking down, and that divine purpose always works for our good. God has a purpose and a plan in our lives. And the culmination of that plan, I think some of us need to hear this, I need to hear this. <laughs> the culmination of that plan is not my temporary pleasure. It's not my temporary health. It's not the life that I have in this world. The culmination of that plan is my permanent joy in the next. He is seeking my joy forever, not just for five minutes or for an hour or for 80 years. I think we, we can tend to forget this, especially in the middle of seasons of suffering, that we're not the center of reality. God is the center of reality. He is the apex of all value in existence. And if he sees fit to bring his people through the fire, he has a good reason for it. Whether that suffering is a warning to people who are wandering away from God, or whether that suffering, and this is what I find most prominent in my own life, is a scalpel to carve away the cancerous parts of my life that rob me from true joy. Both of these are realities that we see in Hosea. And we know this because Hosea tells us why God has done this. He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. This is the reason why they are torn and struck down in order that God might heal them, that they might have healing from God their father. The purpose of their pain is that they would turn to God and be healed. 
And listen to me, this is not just physical healing. Physical healing is important. It is precious and important. But the healing they need most isn't mainly physical. They need spiritual healing. The heart of the issue is that Israel's greatest need and our greatest need today, this moment, and every single day, isn't physical health. It isn't the well-being and the prosperity of our lives and our family, though those are precious. It isn't even the end of this pandemic, though we would all want that to happen tomorrow, God willing. Our greatest need isn't any of those things. Our greatest need is to know him, to know God. It's what we were made for. It's why we exist. You and I were created to know our creator intimately and to find all of our meaning in him, in who he is. That is our purpose. That is, our, that is what we, why we were created. And so God here in Hosea and in the Old Testament harms his people to show them this is your greatest need. This is your greatest need, me. Because when everything's going great, when everything's going well and we are coasting, we are blind to our greatest need. Talking about this with Abner earlier. We're blind to it. We can't see it. We can't see it. And we forget God. And this is precisely what happened to Israel. This is why Hosea and, and really all the prophets, we've been in the prophets a lot in 2020. Um, they're so critical for us to read and soak up and absorb because when things are going well, we are naturally prone to wander away from the one who made them well and who provides and protects us. And verse two continues verse one's theme here by saying that although God will bring us through pain and will bring us through suffering, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. And, and why he does that, Hosea tells us, that we may live before him. Praise be to God. Some of us need to hear and know that God is more committed to bringing his children home to be with him than they are to going. He is more committed to bringing you into his presence than we are leaving the comforts of this world. We need to dwell on that fact. If you belong to God, if you've put your trust in Christ Jesus, he is pursuing your eternal good in the presence of his glory, listen to me, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. He wants you home with him. God knows, and we need to know, that one millisecond in his presence undoes a lifetime of sorrow and pain. It is capable of that. That's who he is. For the Christian, there is no loss in life, no loss in life that we could experience which will not lead to a greater and deeper joy in the next. There isn't a single thing that we can lose in this life. And this is the theme of the scriptures. In fact, the New Testament is, I mean, run through with this theme. 2 Corinthians 4 is probably one of the most crystal clear parts. Verse 16, Paul, who experienced more suffering and pain than all of us combined, probably, says this, we do not lose heart. 
though our outer self is wasting away, and I'm imagining him saying this with tears in his eyes, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. Everything he experienced in his life is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Think about those words. They're there. They are there in the scripture. I checked twice, three times, four times, beyond all comparison. As we look, he says, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Beyond all comparison. You have comparisons, you can abandon them. This is beyond it. The joy you will have in the next life will outdo and outweigh every pain you've possibly experienced in this one, which is exactly where Hosea takes them next. Hosea is, is pressing the people of Israel in our eyes against the face of the eternal. He wants us to see what we can't see physically. He wants us to see what we can only see with the eyes of our hearts, and that is God. So Hosea says, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. That's how we see the unseen. That's how we look into the eternal that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 4. We press on to know the Lord that we may live before him. We seek God. We seek to know God. Not only the truth about who he is, but, but to know him intimately, to love him. We give our lives to him. And I think for people who, who have encountered this God, the God of the Bible, this isn't just important. There are a lot of things in our lives that are important. For people who've encountered the God of the Bible, this is everything to us. This is everything to us. Because he is infinitely glorious, he must be everything to us. Otherwise, we treat him as nothing. And if I was talking about anything else in all creation, I couldn't say that. That sentence I just said would be untrue. But because I'm talking about the apex of all glory and all worth in reality, he must be everything to us. David in, in Psalm 27, I think the kids got a coloring page, Psalm 27, one of my favorite Psalms. Um, and in this Psalm, he says this. I want you to listen to his words, listen to his heartbeat in this Psalm. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. What is that? What is the, the man after God's own heart seek after? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then he continues a few verses down. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. For those who have tasted something of God's goodness, those who have heard the call to be in his family, we know this is true. One thing, one thing. There isn't anything more worthy of our love and our affection than God. And this pursuit of God in, in Hosea 6, at the end of verse 3, does something amazing. It's probably the most stunning thing that's in this three verses. After telling us that we must pursue the Lord, Hosea says this, his, that is the Lord's, going out is sure as the dawn. 
He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Now, he's just told us to go pursue God. What does he mean by God coming to us? What he means is this. This is amazing. Our pursuit of God, when we do that, when we, when we are pursuing him, we will come to find in our pursuit that he's actually the one who's pursuing us, that it's him coming after us, that our affections for him, our desire to meet with him is all his doing. He will come to us. His going out is the one that's sure. Our coming to him isn't sure. And you guys know that from personal, I know that from personal experience. This morning I woke up later than I wanted to. Did not spend as much time as I wanted to in prayer. My coming to him was unsure. But when I showed up, he was there waiting for me. His coming to us is sure. It's like the showers, he says, the spring rains that water the earth. And so when we go to him, you need to know this. When we are doing that, he is actually the one who is coming to us to heal us, to bind us up, to love us, to care for us. His coming to us is experienced in us pursuing him. That's how we experience it. Which is why I said at the start that it, it's really the best news in the world that God is sovereign over all things. Because if God wasn't sovereign over all things, verse 3 couldn't be true. There is no reality that could exist where verse 3 is true if he couldn't control this, if he wasn't in control of these things. And this is why, as Christians, we have profound hope. Only a God who rules over the dry and barren seasons of our life can bring the spring rain that we so desperately need. And the reason God can do that, his sovereignty means that nobody can stop him. There's not a single force in the universe that can keep him from us. He will come to us. He's not left um, our future to chance or to random events. His coming, it says, is as sure as the dawn. So think about that for a moment. The sun is less reliable than the one who made it. So if the sun came up this morning, even if you couldn't see it because of the clouds, you can be sure that he has not left you. He is with you. He is pursuing you. He's there. And in our pursuit of him, in our quest to know him, we will find him when we do taste of his goodness. We will find that he is a rain shower for us of grace, of love, of truth. He will heal us in those moments. He will bind us up because this is his promise. And like I said last week, we need to believe these promises. We need to believe them, and we can believe this. The reason we can, we can be certain that his promise to us here is going to be kept, that he's going to keep this promise, isn't because, for example, Israel was righteous and faithful, and they did everything they needed to do. It isn't because you and I are righteous and faithful. He's not meeting us because of that. He meets us because he is righteous. He is faithful. When I said that God was committed to bringing his children home, no matter the cost to him, I was making a theological statement because God has already paid the ultimate cost to bring his children home. Everything else is a cakewalk. God sent his son into this world to be struck down for us 
to be torn to shreds for us in order that he could turn to us a people who've been purified and forgiven by the blood of the cross and he could heal us. God has already come to us like the dawn through his son, Jesus, and he's removed every single barrier between you and his goodness. There is no barrier left between you and his grace and his love, which we actually see a glimpse of in Hosea 6. I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw this, but when Hosea says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. He isn't just talking about Israel. He is talking about Israel, but it's not just Israel. And it's not just us. Hosea is talking about the one who came to us in our sin, in our rebellion, and died for our sake and was buried in the heart of the earth for two days. And then on the third, he rose from the dead. That's who Hosea is talking about. And that is why we can know that every single time God will come to us when we seek him. God will come to us like the spring rain, like the dawn. This is the reason. The cross is the reason we can know God at all. Without the cross, we would be like the people in Athens. He would be an unknown God to us. But Jesus purchased our knowing of his father on the cross. And he makes this crystal clear in John 17, just before dying, just before going to the cross, Jesus, in front of his disciples, prays to his father. Listen to what he says here. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to, listen, give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Here's the stunning verse. Well, all of that is stunning, but here's even more stunning. And this is eternal life. So what is eternal life, Jesus? This is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The definition of eternal life, according to Jesus, is knowing God, knowing his son. To have eternal life, is to know God, to desire him, to desire to know more and more and more of who he is and what he has done in our lives and in the world. There is no experience of eternal life outside of that statement. It is about knowing God. So when God, through the prophet Hosea, tells us to press on to know the Lord, when he tells us to do that, he is inviting us to taste the very eternal life that was purchased by the blood of his son. To experience firsthand the joy, the eternal joy of knowing him. And we need to know this isn't, I mean, I think when we hear the word joy, we think, okay, I know what this is. But this isn't like the joy we have in this life. This isn't ephemeral. It isn't temporary. It isn't fleeting joy like the world gives us. We're used to that joy. It goes away tomorrow. This is eternal joy. This is unending joy, knowing the one we were made for. You were made for this one and seeing him in his glory, in his beauty, in his majesty. And so here's the point. Everything that happens to us in our life, just like we saw in Hosea 6, everything that happens to us, for those who have received and trusted in Christ Jesus and his work on the cross, 
Everything that happens to us, whether good or whether bad, ultimately happens in pursuit of this joy. It serves to draw us deeper into what we actually need most, and that is to press on to know the Lord, to press on to know him. That's the purpose of our life. It's not only the purpose of our life, that really is the end that all of human history is flowing into, something that Isaiah 11 makes really clear. The ultimate goal that God is pursuing in this world isn't just the healing of everything that is broken. He's going to do that. It isn't just the restoration of all good in this world. It isn't just bringing this world peace. He will do all of those things, but he's going to do that through the knowledge of him. Listen to Isaiah 11 verse 6. Beautiful text. This was our Christmas text on Christmas morning. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Now, why? Isaiah, tell us why that is, or God, tell us why that is. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. That's why. That's why there'll be peace. That's why there'll be healing. We are moving toward a day when the entire world, all of the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just like the waters fill up the sea. That's how at the end of the age, all things will be healed. It is through the knowledge of the Lord, which is why you and I as children of God are called in every season of our lives, every single season to press on to know the Lord, to, to reach out into his word in prayer, in fellowship, and to in every season, taste the eternal life that his son died so that we would have to know him, that we may live before him as Hosea promises us. So, and I, we sent out a video and an email recently about this. Everything we've been talking about with this first fruits effort. So in the month of January, for those who aren't aware, we're inviting the church to enter into a season of prayer and enter into a season of fasting, and everything that we're talking about here, whether that or whether the Sunday morning prayer, which will be going on um, tomorrow at 8, 8 a.m. in the office and through Zoom, all of those facets, including this sermon series, all of it is to this end, to this end, to this purpose, that we would not waste the trials and the hardships and the difficulties and struggles of the last year, but that we would allow the tearing of that and the being struck down to be a, a means by which we can be healed by God in this current season. That all of our sorrow would stir in our hearts a kind, in our souls, a, a fervent zeal and a hunger for knowing God. That we, would, that we would wake up every single day with the eyes of our hearts trained to see his face to read about him in the scriptures, to spend time with them on our knees. There is literally nothing more important that we could do with our time. There's nothing. 
There's nothing that is more life-changing, nothing more hope-giving than to pursue this. And what I want our church to, to, to have, what I want to personally have, is to believe that and to live like I believe it. I, I want it to not be simply something I aspire to. I want it to be my life. So as we partake in the Lord's Supper here, during this next song, there's individual communion cups in the foyer if you don't have one. Please join me as you take of the elements. And if your faith is in Christ, I invite you to participate in communion. As you take the elements, pray to God. Join me in asking God for the grace to have the zeal this month and really for every other month after it to press on to know the Lord. Not just at the beginning of this year, but that we as a body of believers would look into the face of 2021 and say, it doesn't matter what happens. It literally does not matter what happens. I will obey the command of Hosea 6 no matter what. And that command is very simple. Let us know. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let's pray to that end, family. Father God, we are so numb in this world to what our greatest need is. We can't see it. Our heart automatically reprioritizes the value that we should put on you on other things. And what I'm asking, Father, is that you would graciously, that you would merci mercifully lean into our lives. Every single person in this room, in the overflow room, who can hear me tomorrow, lean into our lives and press into the parts of our lives that we are not letting go, that we are holding on to, and Father, give us this zeal, this desire, this longing. May it not be something we just want to do but never get around to it. May this month be the month where we, no matter what we're going through, no matter the struggles, no matter the trials, no matter the hardship, Father God, where we say, I will not waste my pain. I will not waste my suffering You've torn us that you might heal us. And would we come to you for that healing? Would we know you in your grace and in your love? Father, I pray that the knowledge of you would be everything to us. Everything to us. That our hearts would be united on the purpose that we will seek your face. Just like David said, one thing, one thing. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, Lord, your face do I seek. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.